Before you're seated, we ask you to do this. Let's slide in a little bit. We have some people along the walls and greet someone near you. You can grab them and pull them towards you. That'll make room. Slide in towards the middle there. We've got some seats up front. Um, we are so uh, glad to have Lindsay back up here leading us in worship. Yes, she and Mark have, have been busy, as you know, and we've got a picture here of what they've been working on at home. Malachi on that Alabama elephant. Now, when I said that last night, she said, look, she's going, oh, no, no, this is not, this is not an, an Alabama elephant at all. Uh, Mark was out back with Malachi, and he, and, and he looked at me and said, you know, I've got him this weekend, and look how well he's doing, as if he's, as if he's making him well. Yeah, yeah. We're delighted to rejoice with you. Yeah, thank you. Good to, good to have you, and good to have him in the world. If you have your program, would you take your program, please? I've got a couple of things I need to talk about this morning. And when you take that program, what's going to fall out is our Learning Center recruiting form. We've been in this for a few weeks now, and uh, this, is, uh, this, is, this is final day. This is the day. This is where we go. This is where we are. And let me say, first of all, thank you to all who are serving, and it's an amazing uh, step of faith and, and act of living out our mission as we're 85% there. You know, we're talking hundreds of people serving our children week in, week out. But if you'll flip to the back side, uh, we do have some needs that remain. And the yellow boxes, it's self-explanatory. Uh, those are the urgent needs. The other ones, we, we do have those needs, but the yellow ones, we can't really open those classes until we step in to serve there. And so this is the time. It's, it's not next week or the week after, truly. I'm asking you if you would put your name on there, your email, and if you're available and, and, and willing to serve, we'll talk to you about it. If we need to, if we need to work some special circumstances out for you, kind of like you know, I can't, this, I'm out the whole month of September, so I didn't sign up. Let's put it on there and let's talk about it and let's work around that, your schedule. Um, and also on Saturday night, I told Saturday night, uh, you know, congregation, I would say this, and I say it in all the services, um, it's not the size of a, of a congregation that can cover all these classes. And so I'm going to offer and invite any of us here that are willing to, to serve on a Saturday night to come in and and hold those babies and, and, and be with those three-year-olds and elementary kids. If you're willing to do that, we can work it out. And we can do it in such a way possibly that it might, you know, it's not like you have to do every Saturday night for, you know, a month at a time. But if there were enough of us serving, we could, we could get those Saturday night classes covered. So, again, a, a thank you because, you know, hun, hundreds of you are serving. But we do need a few more to step in with our kids. And, you know, our, our, our uh, philosophy is worship, serve. That, that's the way we live life. We, you know, and it doesn't have to be in the, the learning center. But we serve and we worship. And if you're serving in the learning center, it's serve the first, worship the second, or serve the second, uh, worship the third. That's how we, how we function. So thank you for your patience in that, and thank you for your service. And then I've got... Uh, uh, some thoughts I need to, I want to offer to us around something we have uh, previewed with you a little bit. It's called Fellowship Together. I talked about it, I talked about it way back early in the summer, saying it's coming this fall. Well, we're about upon it. Uh, Fellowship Together is going to be a, a phrase we're going to be using here over these next few weeks. And it's really about us as a community of faith, uh, quite frankly, getting better at helping each other 
be together and connect. And even with the limitations that we have with our services and with the lack of you know, a, a gathering place for us, um, these are opportunities for us to, to, to go different routes to connect and serve. And I'm gonna talk about this in a moment in the message. We don't walk through this life together. Our value of community means we, we walk with each other in a variety of ways. And let me tell you this on the front end, for, the, for, for those who are interested in becoming members at Fellowship, there's a, there's, a, there's a two-step process to membership. And we've worked on this over the years and adapted this, and this is what we'll be doing in the coming year. There are two classes. One's called Explore, and one's called Join. Now, I want you to say that with me. First is called Explore, Explore, and the second one is it's pretty simple. We're going to explore. We're going to find out what's the church about. And you can go to that class. It's going to be here on the 21st of August. We do it every other month. It's one hour during the 935 service. And you explore. You come to understand what we believe, our mission, our values. What would it look like to be a member here? But then join, if you're going to join as a covenant member, and membership matters in the community of faith, whether it's at fellowship, y'all, or at another church in the community. We, you know, the, the spiritual life is engaged in the life of the body. The join class is two hours. You go through the join class and we talk about membership covenant and things like that. And that one's going to be on September 11th and it's at the 935 hour too. So that's, that's if you want to step into the life of the body, explore, join, and it'll be in the program. You'll know when those classes are coming. Now, the next thing I want to talk about is a little broader and that's fellowship together. On the 13th and 14th of August, you're going to come on the campus and it's going to be a little different you're going to notice some things in certain spots. You're going to notice some uh, coffee and, and, and some uh, signage right out here by the pond, a tent in the middle right here between the buildings, and uh, coffee and some things in the Learning Center lobby. Those are what we, we're calling Connect Points. What's a connect point? It's, it's a place where there's going to be uh, staff and, and many of you in shirts and with lanyards that are going to be around those points so that when the service dismisses or on your way in, you can go there and you can talk to someone about how to get connected at fellowship. I'm talking about across the board connected, and we're going to walk you through that. And it's going to go for five weeks. We're going to be doing that from 14th to the, 14th to the, uh, the 11th of September. <clears throat> that those will be available. And each week you'll be able to do that. Now, at Fellowship, there are, there are three <coughs> general ways <coughs> in which you can connect and you can be with others, okay? Group, class, team. Group, class, team. Group, class, team. I want you to say it with me. That's strong. There was some real weak sauce in the first service. They could barely get it out, you know, barely say it. Just No, say it again. Group, class, team. Now that's, I'm, I'm, I'm saying that to you not to be silly, but that you would own that because when someone's interested in connecting at fellowship, we can say, well, there's groups, there's classes, and there's teams. And that's how we connect. And that's what we'd be talking about at these various places. A group is a, is a fellowship group. It's a small group. Uh, Lisa and I are in a fellowship group. We're in a small group with five other couples. We've been doing this over the last two years and meet every other week and we're starting groups. Uh, we're we're, we're launch, relaunching our groups around these fellowship groups. It's a 10-week commitment that you would be in, and then you can opt out after 10 weeks. There's classes. Y'all, there, there are, you know, while we don't have Sunday school classes, we meet in, all through the week in a variety of places, from women's ministry to men's things to, to Bible studies, et cetera. You can be in a class in a number of topics and a number of areas, and we want you to be plugged in in that way. Or you can be on a team. 
Now, what's a team? That's a team standing behind me. There was a team in the atrium that, was wel- that welcomed you. There's a team that's going to be serving as ushers. Uh, Lisa and I said we were in a fellowship group, but we're also, Lisa is also on a team. Like she will leave this service and she'll go back here and she will be holding babies at the 1110 service. And you know what? She loves holding babies, but you know what she loves? She loves being with her team. She loves being with the ladies that are in that room and they connect week in, week out. So those are the three ways uh, that we can connect And I wanted you to say it out loud because here's the thing. Connecting in a community of faith our size with the services we have Saturday night, you know, and three on Sunday, it's not about me or Bill or Michael getting you connected in a sense. It's really about us owning it for each other. And so as those weeks come up, I want to invite you to take some time at the end of the service. Meet someone who's nearby you. And you might say, you know, are you connected? How long have you been here? Uh, you know, you've been here 10 years and we haven't met. We've been sitting next to each other all these years, you know. But uh, talk, talk to them about connecting. And then, and then you can walk over to one of these connect points and get the information that you need. This is going to be interesting. We've never done this. Uh, let's be patient with one another. And uh, let's learn as we move forward uh, in this area. Uh, I want to pray for our offering, and as I pray, I want to remind you of something that happened earlier in the summer. Sarah Crane, she's in Bundabugio, Uganda, and remember Sarah, as we prayed for her and sent her off, she talked about there was a translation coming uh, in the Lubwisi, I think I'm saying that right, language in uh, Uganda. They have never had the Bible in their language. Here's the New Testament in Lubwisi, and You know, it's just one of those things. Honestly, I got 14 Bibles in my office. You've got 10 at home. We just take this so for granted. But what if you've never seen it in your language? 20 years in the making, I'm sure there are many who started this project that may not be alive today to get this done. And uh, Sarah sent the email out, and I just want to pray for her and uh, rejoice in what God is doing there and what he is accomplishing. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for our time this morning to worship, to sit under your word, to sit with each other, to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Thank you for the opportunities that we do have to connect. Lord, help us do so well. Uh, Help us to do so that we might walk well with one another. We might help each other grow. We might help one another mature in the faith that we might give our lives away. Lord, thank you for Sarah's service in Bundabugio and her willingness to step back into that for three years. And we rejoice with those who rejoice. And there is great rejoicing there this weekend. Thank you for your word translated by so many over so long a period of time. We're confident that it will not return void without accomplishing that for which you intend and pray that the celebration they experience this weekend would bear fruit and the Lord Jesus would be lifted up through this word and you would draw men, women, and children to yourself. Lord, thank you each week that we gather, we get to give. And as an expression of worship, we take what we have, and we say, Lord, it's all yours. We gladly and freely return this portion to you, a statement of faith and gratitude 
knowing that you provide all things. Would you receive this blessing? Would you, would you bless it in, in ways that uh, honor you? Would we steward it well? May it extend your kingdom for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. The ushers would come down and receive the offering. Well, uh, last week, this week, and next week, we are taking three psalms, and we're reflecting on these hymns of the nation of Israel, wrapping up our summer. And then uh, we'll launch into the Gospel of Mark on the weekend of the 13th and 14th. And Mark's Gospel is going to take us well into 2017. Last week, Bill took us to Psalm 86 and walked us through a wonderful prayer as we practiced that personally and corporately, I don't know which Psalm Michael will be teaching next week, but I have chosen Psalm 13. Psalm 13. If you have your Bibles, please go there. Psalm 13. Why, Lloyd, why are you, why'd you pick Psalm 13? Well, they say when you write that it's good to write what you know or are experiencing. And it's really probably a good maxim for speaking and teaching as well. But when we do expository teaching, as we do, I don't always, you know, I get a passage, it's kind of like, I don't, I'm not there, etc. But in this one, I could choose something where there's a sense to which I'm there. And I must say that David's lament uh, resonates very deeply with my heart these days. And if, my, if I may have full disclosure, I chose it for me. I chose it because I wanted to be in it and study it. And I trust, though, in the Spirit's providence and working, that it would be good for you as well. Andrew Fuller writes, quote, It is not under the sharpest but the longest trials that we are most in danger of fainting. When Job was accosted with evil tidings in quick succession, he bore it with becoming fortitude. But when 
He could not see the end to his troubles. He sank under them. End quote. Psalm 13 guides us uh, when we can't see the end. It's a psalm that, that, that addresses, that shows us the path, so to speak, when our faith is, is faltering and the heavens are silent and God's activity is, there's no God's activity, it seems, in our world and when our enemies are gloating over us. I think most of you know that I'm, I like to deer hunt uh, or bow hunt and, uh, you know, when, when, you're, when you're deer hunting, you go in the woods in the dark. Not always, you can hunt in the afternoons, but you go in the dark and uh, I can't tell you the times, you know, I've been with someone and I'm not familiar with the farm or the land. And, you know, they take, you know, you're driving, you're walking in the woods or whatever, and they'll stop right here and they'll say, okay, your stand's in there about, you know, 400 yards down, you know, that ravine or whatever. And, and you're standing in the dark. Well, what deer hunters do, you see, though, is we, beforehand, you go in and you put little reflectors on the trees that mark the trail to your stand. And so while you stand in the dark and you can't see the trail, you take your flashlight and you just hit, hit the tree line and boom, there's a reflector. And while you can't see where you're going, you know this is the way there. Psalm 13, David puts some markers on the trees. And in the darkness of, I'll call it disorientation here in a moment, we can know this is the way through. Now before I... Uh, you know, we do a little devotion around the psalm. I thought I'd give you a little psalm primer. I think that's helpful when we're trying to understand these psalms. Uh, Walter Brueggemann has written extensively on the psalms, and he gives us some categories to think about them. And you think about 150 songs, you know, are, is there any order to these songs? What, what, what are they? Are they just a conglomeration? Well, there's some, there is some order and categories around the psalms that I think can help us. There are, according to Brueggemann, there are psalms of orientation, psalms of orientation. And y'all, these are the psalms when life is good. These are the psalms that celebrate the regularity of creation and all that's good, psalms of orientation. And then there are these psalms of disorientation, psalms of, of disorientation. What, what do I say? Well, life is not good. <laughs> Things are not as they should be. These are the psalms of lament. These are the psalms of complaint. And then we have a category we would call the Psalms of New Orientation. And these are the Psalms when coming out of disorientation, uh, God's truth breaks through in a way that we weren't expecting. And, and we see God is in control in, this, in the Psalms of New Orientation. It's a celebration in a sense of God's providence, uh, of God's sovereignty and rule and reign. Now the Psalms, uh, more than any other scripture, help us navigate these, these seasons. And if you, if you think about it like this, and here's where I think Brueggemann is helpful as well. Think about life, a bit of a roadmap of life. Think of your life as seasons. There are seasons of orientation. Everything's good, that's great. And there are seasons of disorientation. It's not working and then there are seasons of new orientation. That's life, isn't it? When you think about life, you know, you never stay in one very long. <laughs> We're always moving between and through these. Much of life is spent in transition between orientation and disorientation. Or it's spent between, I don't know, it's not working and, oh God, yes, you've come in through. You see, we spend time moving through these seasons. And the psalmists articulate 
they vocalize for you and I what's going on in the heart and how do we move through these seasons. It's what David does in Psalm 13. Guess what kind of psalm Psalm 13 is? Disorientation. Life is not as it should be. What, when it's not as it should be when, and we're confused, where's the path? And we shine the light and Psalm 13 gives us direction through. I'd like you to stand. Would you mind doing that please one more time? And rather than read it in your Bibles, I want you actually just to stand up and, and close your eyes and I want to read it over you. I, want you. I just want to read it for you, over you. And to you, if I may. You know, this psalm is a psalm of disorientation. And as I said, people are in different seasons. Some of you are not in this season. It's okay. You know, you don't have to be there. But I do think it can speak to us. Spurgeon says this about it. He says, if the reader has never yet found occasion to use the language of this brief psalm, he will before long, if he be a man after God's own heart. Here's God's words over us and to us this Lord's day. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all the day? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Enlighten my eyes, or I will sleep the sleep of death. And my enemy will say, I've overcome him. And my adversaries will rejoice when I am shaken. But I have trusted in your loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. You can be seated. The psalm is three couplets, three stanzas, uh, two, two stanzas in each of the three. Questions of the heart, cries of the heart, and truth of the heart. I'll say it again, it's Verses one and two, questions of the heart. And then three and four, cry of the heart, the cry of the heart. And it ends with the trust of the heart. Now, I could have just said questions, cry, and trust, but I put heart there because when in disorientation, when you're in a season of disorientation, what rises out of us, not always in orientation or new orientation, but especially in disorientation, is something that goes, it's not just our mind. And he's speaking from his mind. But oh my, is it not coming from deep, deep within him, from his heart of hearts? Questions of the heart. I want you to notice that the questions has to do with God himself, God, and then he speaks to himself. (laughs) Why am I counseling within myself? And then he speaks of his enemies, God himself and others. Three distinct parts here. Okay, you can't blend them, but... They're interconnected, are they not? When we're wrestling with God, there's a wrestling within and there's issues without. They cannot be separated. The order's not random um, in this particular situation. And by the way, think about David's life. How many occasions do you think he would have had to pray this? I think many. You imagine the years of running, hiding, 
escaping with his life barely. Uh, We don't know which particular situation this is, and I think it's a good thing because it's applicable to any situation and to all of our situations. David's first and greatest problem is God. His first and greatest problem is is God. There are times, it's true in your life and mine, it's not the issue out here, it's not the person, whatever. I had a problem with God, the problems with with God. Let me be more specific or put a little flesh on this. I'll say it this way. It is trusting a God who is doing what we never imagined he would do. This is the challenge. Trusting a God who is doing things that we never imagined God would do. There are times of disorientation in life. It's... You know, and, and I don't know, I can't understand God. What, this doesn't match your character. This is, this is out of line with you that what's going on. And, and we know Isaiah says, Lord, your ways are higher than ours. And indeed they are higher. And when they're higher, you know, we can't fully grasp them. Can I trust God when he's doing what I never imagined, when he allows what I cannot conceive he would allow? This is hard stuff, y'all. I, 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 I realize this. And Someone came up to me after the message last night and said something to me, and it, and it shed some light on the passage for me that I think, I think she was right when she said this to me. I was, I was considering, you know, is David struggling with trusting God here? And, and I, don't, I don't know that he's struggling with trusting that God's in control. That's what I, I was kind of, he's trusting, he can't trust that God's in control. I, I do think David trusts that God's in control. That's the scary part. Do you understand me? God's in control. This is not good. Can he trust? God's doing what he can't even imagine God would do. Listen, we're not in bad company when we get there. I mean, read our Bibles. My goodness, story after story of bewilderment at times. God, what are you doing? Now, David is also, and I'll comment on that in a moment, but David's also full of sorrow within himself. And, and I get this. Think about it. If the heavens are silent, and they are, Dave, God's face is not towards him. God's face is not, and when God's face is not towards you, you know, that's, the, that's the image, the picture of God's blessing, God's favor, God's good. And God's face is not toward him in this season of disorientation. And, and when God's face is not there and his prayers are bouncing off the ceiling, what, where, where do we go to figure our way out if God's not available? Where do we go? We go to ourselves, don't we? We, we? we go within. And this is, I think, a, a, a bit of a picture of Proverbs 3, 5, where he's, he's, he's leaning on his own understanding. Where else can he go but to lean on his own understanding? And when we lean on our own understanding, it does not lead to deliverance. It leads to sorrow. Now, this is not, um, this is not high-tech virtual reality machine. This is a classic Viewmaster, low-tech. When, when in disorientation, fear, anxiety tends to, 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 to close our, our periphery, and honestly, we begin to counsel within ourselves, and we begin to live life through a Viewmaster. Now, I'm looking at solar systems. <laughs> wow. But I have no perspective outside of this. And when I'm leaning on my own understanding, this is all I've got. This is all I can see. This is, I'm limited in my perspective. And this is where, where David is. 
And it's where you and I go when in that place, the world, the flesh, and the devil narrow us down to go, this is, these are my only options, this is it. And we live this way, and it leads to sorrow. Now, I don't want to miss the, 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 the shouting from the text, no pun intended, that's right before us. When we question God from the depths of our heart, we're in good company. Y'all, this is David. It's a man after God's own heart crying out. It's not a sign of immaturity nor a lack of faith to vocalize the deepest, darkest questions of the heart. David's in relationship with God. This is just a question that came to me and and, and it's haunted me a bit, but think about this. Um, If God were to turn his face from you, if, if God went silent on you, would you know it? How about thinking of it that way? I don't know, would, would you live a couple years and go, wait a minute, what's, something is not going. David, you see, when God went silent, he was crushed. For he's in relationship with God. We'll see this more in a moment. Uh, David is stuck in disorientation. It's how long, four times, y'all. For how long, how long, how long, how long? Spurgeon says it begins to sound like howling. <laughs> and it probably touches on the condition of his heart. You know, in Psalm 22, just a page over, you know what David says to God? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He asked him, why have you forsaken me? Now we know that Jesus is gonna say those words, right? But y'all, David didn't just say them so Jesus a thousand years later could say them. David said them because he meant it. He meant it. Why have you forsaken me? He was there. Job, he started asking questions in chapter 3 and he didn't, sh- he didn't shut up till chapter 38 when God stepped in and he ended life more blessed than he began. Reverend C. Clements, this is an old commentary I've got. It's eight, late 1800s, but he, he said this and I think it's instructive. Quote, one of the greatest blessings in life is to have a friend who will never misunderstand us and by whom all our unintelligible and contradictory words will be pitied and not blamed, who will bury our follies in his own love. There is but one in whom this exists in perfection. Our God never misinterprets the language of broken hearts and bewildered souls, never, end quote. You see, in disorientation, the sludge that comes up, let it come up, and we can cry out honestly, and God never misinterprets it. He never just, oh, God, I didn't mean it that way. I get... God knows your heart. As a child of God, it's okay to not be okay. And it's okay to not be okay with God. In fact, I'm going to go further in this text. I, I, I want to suggest that the path out of disorientation requires that we be honest with God when we're not okay with God. David did. Questions of the heart to the cry of the heart. Three requests, very quickly. He says in verse three, consider, answer, enlighten my eyes. Considers the word look. So that takes us right back to chapter, to verse one, right? When he said, your face is not towards me. And he says, look at me, turn your face 
toward me. Notice David has gone from verse one, my God, or from verse one to, O Lord, to verse three, consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Don't miss the my. He, you're, I'm crying out, but you're my God. Even as I say these things, you're my God. I also think David knows that answering his questions is not his greatest need. What, what, what do you mean by that? Well, you know, the cry of the questions, and I think it's true for you and I as well. You know, think about this, and this is a bit facetious, but, but you know, will you hide your face from me forever? God could, God could say, no. <laughs> How long? How long? Four more months. How long will I take counsel within myself in sorrow? Two years. And then it's gonna come back every couple years. You'll be wrestling with this. Well, how long will my enemy be exalted over me? Well, this one's gonna be about three years and then you're gonna have five or six others. You know, he's not, that wouldn't, that's not what he needs. Doesn't need that, the, the answer per se to the question. What do, you, what do you and I need when we're crying out? We're going, Lord, why? Lord, what? Lord, where? Lord, how? Lord. What do you need when your marriage is unraveling? You're crying out. Or work's crushing you, or your family's imploding, or you got these relational conflicts that just they can't be resolved. You're disappointed with your church. Your spiritual life is stagnant. Your health is failing, or you, you've got anxiety that's weighing, or depression's beginning to wrap its claws around your head and your heart. You've got a child that's hurting, and you can't can't resolve the issue for your child or you've got a child that's making decisions that's breaking your heart God knows what we most need and and I I don't think it's that our question is our question is answered I think David tells us what he most needed in his next phrase and basically he says Lord do this or I die that's pretty steep isn't it do this or I die what enlighten my eyes or I will sleep the sleep of death. Clements writes this again, it's not when all is calm that prayer is at its best. Ah, no. It is when we are stunned, startled, half paralyzed by some dreadful, unexpected trial, end quote. That's when prayer is at its best. This is David's prayer at its best. Enlighten my eyes or I die. Lighten the eyes throughout Scripture is it's, to be, it's, it's your life to be vigorous. It's your life to be whole, to be full. It also carries this idea of, uh, of um, perspective, of divine wisdom. So, so what does it mean that David prayed, enlighten my eyes or I die? Well, what does that look like? I think he answers it. In trust of the heart. Questions of the heart, cry of the heart. Now trust of the heart. Look at verse five and six quickly. But I've trusted in your loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Enlightened eyes. Uh, he's now, I'm trusting in your loving kindness, which leads to rejoicing, which leads to a song. I think that all makes sense to us. What we would not want to notice is loving kindness is that Hebrew word hesed. It's as we say around, it's the most important word probably in our Old Testament. Hesed is God's covenant love. It's his steadfast faithfulness. It's he said it, he will do it, he can do no other. His hesed. It's not just a verbal promise or word. It is lived out tangibly in his actions. He makes a covenant and he keeps it. Something so important. This is rather simple, but 
I think, important for us. David was now trusting in God's trustworthiness. See, it's not, I'm gonna trust you to fix this. I'm gonna trust you to do this. I'm just gonna trust you that you are trustworthy regardless of what you do. Even right now when I am in disorientation and you've brought it about, I will trust, I will have faith in your faithfulness, oh God. You know, we don't see any circumstances change, do we, between verse four and five? We don't see that he said, now my enemy's gone. You know, now I've got your counsel, Lord. Now the heavens are, we don't see any of that when he goes to verse five. But something happens between verse four and verse five. We can be assured of it. Let's just be pragmatic for a moment. You know, it takes about less than a minute to read the psalm. You don't go from, how long, how long, how long, how long? I'm trusting you. I'm blessed. I'm going to sing a song. You don't, it doesn't move that quickly. There is a gap between verse 4 and 5. Brueggemann helps us here, speaking of that gap. Quote, the psalmist then waits. It's a long wait after verse four, a wait in the darkness of death, a wait in the disorientation, a waiting until hell freezes over. There must be such a wait, perhaps a long wait, because there is no other court of appeal. There's nowhere else to go. One must simply wait here until there is a response, end quote. How long did he wait? We know this. It was long enough for him to cry out, how long, how long, how long, how long? And he probably said it more than four times. And we know it wasn't a passive wait because we see what David did in the wait. So it's instructive for us that in the wait, it was not just, well, I'm gonna wait till something happens. And in the wait, he cried honestly and he pled desperately. Then he cried honestly and he pled desperately. And he cried honestly and he pled desperately. And he, he just cried honestly and he, and he pled desperately for God. He cried honestly and he pled desperately. And, and he cried honestly and he pled desperately for how long? I don't know how long. That's what he did. And in God's timing, because the enlightening of the eyes, think of this, the enlightening of the eyes does not come because I'm gonna study my, I'm gonna become an expert in enlightened eyes. I'm gonna gonna figure it out. I'm gonna work my way. I'm gonna learn it. That's not how our eyes are enlightened. How are your eyes enlightened in salvation? For by grace, you're saved. Faith itself a gift. Listen, when we're here, it's God's grace that removes the viewfinder, his grace and in his timing. And until he does, we cry honestly and we plead desperately. Then God in his great kindness enlightens our eyes. And yes, we can go to where David is and we realize I'm gonna trust in God's faithfulness. I'm gonna gonna rejoice in his salvation. And you know what? I'm gonna sing a song because he's dealt bountifully with me. That's a work of the spirit. That's a work of God that he does in our lives. And say, well, why doesn't he do it without us crying and pleading? 
I don't know. We're going to study the life of Jesus here in a little bit. and He cried and pled. He learned obedience in the things that he suffered. I wish there was another way. There's not. Someone asked me last night, Lord, you said you're, you're in Psalm 13. What are you learning? And, and, and I, you know, I, no one had asked me that, and I went, I am living in the gap between verse 4 and 5. That's, that's all I can tell you right now. And I also want you to understand, you know, when you look at this, our tendencies to do this, our tendency may be to go, you know, if I do this, then I'm going to, you know, it's, and I just told you there's a gap between four and five, but it's also a tendency to go, okay, okay, there's, there's the spiritually mature David, verse five, trusting God, singing songs, rejoicing. That's, the, that's spiritual maturity. Now I want to suggest spiritual maturity is verses one through six. This is, the, this is the process of growth. This is the Christian life. And you say, well, dang, this is a bit of a bummer of a message today. <laughs> you know? um, no, it's, it's not. It's, it's, it's the path of growth. Listen, our mission as a church is to mature in the faith, people. To grow up in Christ. Find, find characters in the Bible that grew up without pain. Without dis- I, I don't know. I, don't, I, I, can't, I can't find them including the Lord Jesus Christ himself who suffered defeat at the hands of his enemies and who cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Oh, there's great hope here. Um, It's just not an easy path. John Golden Gay, he's a professor... Old Testament professor, and um, he's written a number of books. I've read a number of his commentaries over the years. Uh, He wrote this in a book he called Walk On, Life, Loss, Trust, and Other Realities. He said, quote, So many things we achieve are achieved only through struggle and conflict, not in easy ways. I have so longed to find somewhere in life, some corner where joy is unmingled with pain. But I have never found it. Wherever I find joy, my own or other people's, it always seems to be mingled with pain. And I find that people I most respect are people who know the link between joy and pain. And I have found that if we will own pain and weep over it together, David, own pain and weep over it together, we also find Christ's overflowing comfort. The bad news is that there may be no corner of reality where joy is not related to pain. The good news is that there is no corner of reality where pain cannot be transformed into overflowing joy. End quote. This is a personal lament. David's personal lament. There's communal laments, personal lament. But there's really no personal lament in the truest sense for, my goodness, I mean, we're all reading this mail right now. (laughs) It's not private. It's for the community of faith. It's for us to 
to own, to, to vocalize, to help us articulate what's going on within us in the disorientation, the path to new orientation. And it reminds us, you see, that we are, I said this earlier, we're never alone. Now, you may feel alone in disorientation, but that's not true. Why is, the, why is the Bible so adamant on our gathering together as the church? In part, so that we see each other. We come in this room and we know we're not, I'm not alone. Now, you can still come in the room and think, I'm the only one going through this. That's not true. That's why community is a value that we must live. You see, there's someone in the room, if, it's not, if you're not there, it's okay, it's wonderful, but there's someone near you and someone in your circle of influence who needs you to be the friend who holds their unintelligible and contradictory words without judgment, who will bury their follies and the heretical stuff that may come out of their mouth, who will hold it in your own love and then gently nudge them to the only one who can enlighten their eyes and who will in his timing. I want to have you do something be a little different, a little awkward maybe for some of you. I'd like you to stand. Standing's not awkward, but I want you to stand. <laughs> uh, then I want you to put your hand on your head. No, I don't want you to do that. I want you to stand. I want you to take the hand of someone near you. Now, you're going to have to reach across the aisle, maybe. Why don't you do that? I want you to be holding hands, you know, just spread out where everyone's got a hand they're holding. Reach across the aisle. If You don't have to reach across the aisle, but if you need to, to, to get someone's. And uh, when we leave here, uh, run over to the Learning Center because they have all those clear um, antibacterial things. <laughs> you can do that. Just hit the hallway. Uh, why do I have you hold hands? Because I want you to physically, tangibly know you're never alone. And when we cry our lament, we don't cry alone. And we don't get through it alone. We get through it with. This is the community of faith. Somewhere down that line of hands, someone's in disorientation. And they need us. Let me pray over you. Oh, great God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you saw to it that David's personal, secret, dark thoughts in many ways are before us. And that he, a man after your heart, could cry to you. In that time and place when I truly believe David trusted you were in control. But oh my, sometimes when we're so solid on that and we see what you do, it unravels us. We need your spirit, your word, and each other to keep bringing us back to the truth that you have dealt bountifully with us. And it is nowhere more clear than in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, the death of your son for each one of us. There's no greater bounty. Lord, as someone has said, it's far more important to have our afflictions sanctified than to have them removed. And so in the disorientations of life, grant us the power, quite frankly, the strength 
to wait as you sanctify these challenges and bring us to that place where we want you more than your answers. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. Amen. And God bless.